Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast with myself, Chris Tuck, and Beverly Ann. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special edition, number two. And we are talking about the ICSA final concluding report that was published on the 20th of October 2022. And we are going to have quite a few of these sessions dedicated to the report because it's very, very important um, from my perspective and your perspective. Absolutely. And also when we get a report, it's quite overwhelming. In fact, it's very overwhelming. And sometimes the language can become complicated. And so we thought we'd break it down into segments to make it more manageable and also more understandable and relatable because it's written in a language, not for the everyday person. And that's not taking it away. But I know, I don't know about you, Chris, but I know sometimes I read it and think, can I have that in English at times? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the first section of the report obviously was about the victim survivor's voice. And that's very clear. That is clear. It is clear as clear can be. And it's quite triggering and it's quite traumatising, but that's the reality of the situation. And if anything, a lot of the detail probably isn't there to the extent that it is people's reality. Um, but saying that, it still is triggering and re-traumatising, especially if you've been through some, some experiences like that before. Absolutely. And I think for me, whilst we're not, you know, we're very aware of what goes on and how big it is, but to see it all in one place within a report. And as was said in part one, this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. This is not only 6,000 people. This is 6,000 people whose voices were heard to represent all the hundreds of thousands behind them as well. That are silenced. Absolutely, and they haven't had their opportunity to speak. And some people don't. Victim survivors go to their graves literally with their secrets. And, and they don't share, and that's everybody's choice. So we just want to reiterate that because for me, it was like, wow, these voices are being heard, but we also need to acknowledge those people that, for whatever reason, were unable to be heard as well. Yeah. But then when we come after that part, you know, one of the things that we wanted to look at as well was we wanted to compare the reality of what trauma-informed reporting is like and the reality of what it is that we are looking to be heard and how it's being heard. So we are going to compare, for example, the Truth Project, our experiences, um, and also our experiences going through the criminal justice system, i.e. disclosing to the police and how that makes you feel um, and what we needed to make our experience less triggering and less traumatising. Absolutely. And so that's why we want to share that, because we are real people, even though there's a professional perspective as well. And as you heard in part one, Chris, you were very involved with the VSCP weren't you? I was um, currently still a member of the victim and survivors consultative panel consultants to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse been there since inception um, uh, for seven years and so have been 
an integral voice really, along with my co-workers, my colleagues, as long with the Victim Survivors Forum, um, and along with all of those individuals that took part in the actual investigations that the inquiry did. Um, so it's really important that we do talk about our experiences so that people understand where we're coming from. And I just want to go back to the actual report for the moment. So part A was about the victim survivor's voice. And as you said, the second part was about the investigations, the conclusions, the recommendations. And some of that can be in quite hard speak. That yes. is not everyday, understandable English for most of us. So we want to go in the future into that more deeply um, in our own words so we can make it more relatable. Yeah, and I think that's the word relatable. Yeah. So that it's clear, concise, and it enables people to make choice on actions going forward and ensuring that implementation of this report is followed up. Yeah, and that's really important because once the inquiry closes down, there is no organisation to keep the government accountable. And as we said last time, our government at the moment is unstable. There is no one really champion um, the report that came out. And it's up to us, um, the staff members that worked within the inquiry that have gone on to other posts, it's up to the victim and survivors that took part and who haven't taken part to actually push this agenda forward and to keep the government accountable because we don't want to be doing another inquiry. No. We don't want to be writing another report when we know what we know. And there is no sweeping that underneath the carpet anymore. We have to take action. And as you can hear, it's something that we're both very passionate about. And Chris, as you explained in the first episode, you've been involved with it for seven years now, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So can you talk us through, Chris, when the Truth Project was being set up and yeah. you knew that we needed to find a venue um, to enable people to share their story? And as we know, this was often the first time many people had shared. I know that there were parts that I'd never shared before as well, personally. What was it that went through your mind that you wanted to implement it? What was important? Um, so when it was brought to our attention that the inquiry in Australia were doing or had done this truth type session, we thought it would be really good, not us as civil servants, it was their idea, to bring in as many victim survivors voices as possible so that we could build up the picture and almost get it evidenced. So even though it's not a legal gathering of evidence, it's more of a, mm -hmm. what is this thing, child mm -hmm. sexual abuse? How big is it? How deep does it go? What are the failings that we're all facing? And what are all of the issues around getting redress, getting justice, getting support, all of that kind of information? So to make it the pathway, as safe for victim survivors as we could, we had to find locations that were not triggering. We had to set up the room, the environment in a trauma-informed way. So it wasn't gonna be clinical. It was gonna be as homely as it could be. All of those little um, additions like cup of tea, biscuits, tissues, crowns, 
colouring books, um, two different seating areas, like table and chairs for those that wanted it, or more comfy chairs like this if people wanted it. So it was all about giving the victim and survivor that were coming forward to share their lived experience whatever they needed to make them feel calm, comfortable and safe as much as possible when it came to sharing their lived experience. And that I completely understand because for me, I always like to have natural lights and to be near the doorway so that I know that if it becomes too much, I can have an access or access to fresh air. And that's what we tried to do as well, was to have like a, either a breakout room where they could go and sit by themselves or with the counsellor that was there on the day, if that's what that it was needed. Um, and in some venues, we actually had like outdoor space, like a garden area or, or whatever we could yes. try and get hold of. But because um, during the pilot phase of this, where we tested it, um, it needed to be in different areas. So we couldn't have locations that were fixed that were known to people yes it had to be um the location was kept secret the address was only known to the victim survivors turning up yes because we were told quite clearly that if it literally said truth project yeah. that people would feel judged even going to the venue yeah we also had to make sure that, you know, the it was a neutral kind of building. So it couldn't be a church, for example, um, or something that would be triggering for, for, yeah. for someone that's gone through abuse within a church. You can't ask someone that's been abused within the church to turn up to a church to give their lived experience. So a lot of planning went into these truth sessions. Absolutely. And it's, it's having an adult space that's independent, isn't it? Yeah. So... Just so that anyone who's aware that there's a noise going on in the background, it's actually Ruby the dog. So, <laughs> so we always think about what's what's right for our own self-care as well. And she's here, as you can hear, she's part of this conversation. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, all that was set up and yeah. I know you wanted to take part in it yourself personally, but there was also another side of that. What was that for you? The testing side of it oh right so for me um the pathway was put together the pilot ran for two weeks with victim and survivors that come forwards and it was very very successful the feedback was absolutely amazing so it was then decided to roll it out nationwide um i wanted to test it out in london because it was the pilot was in liverpool and basically i wanted to make sure that what was um the blueprint in liverpool had been transferred to other areas, other locations. And my sister and I went through the Truth Project in 2016. Um, and yeah, it was the same blueprint. Mm. I then felt really happy that everybody that chose to come to the Truth Session would experience the same kind of quality yes. and care that was um, given to everybody that went through the pilots. And I again went with someone else in 2018, another survivor, I went as their support. Mm. And um, there was a few little changes that had been made. Um, like there was a clock in the room that we said there should be no ticking clocks because that can be a trigger for some people. So I immediately took the clock down, put it away, 
that survivor then felt safe and I fed that back into the inquiry and said please make sure you keep going back and looking at all of those little things that won't be a problem for most people but when you are given your your lived experience of sexual abuse it matters and this is the thing about triggers that we've spoken about before it can be the minutest thing that triggers one person but doesn't trigger somebody else yeah so it's been it was being mindful and open to different possibilities wasn't it yeah and every victim survivor that chose to come forward they were asked specifically what triggers do you have what do we need to be mindful of because you could even choose um your facilitator so the person that was going to speak to you to take your lived experience and the person recording it the assist the assistant facilitator so if you needed a man for example that was provided if you needed someone of a certain ethnicity because that is who you wanted yeah. that was provided so all of these things were catered to yeah. um otherwise you're not going to give your best lived experience or you're not going to have the best experience of sharing your truth and we wanted everybody as much as possible to have that valid um positive experience but most importantly when you feel that you're in a safe space yeah your body enables you to feel safe it knows what you're going to say but it's being reassured so these details that seem minute to people are so important because it's a physical reaction that can happen when you don't feel safe yeah yeah so you know i know we didn't get it right in every case i know that and where people came to me via social media and said this didn't go right for them i would then ask them what is it that they felt didn't go right what was now needed to be done for them to feel like they've been heard and it had been addressed mm. i then would take that to the inquiry i would chase the inquiry up for um a, a response and then i would either feedback to the victim survivor if, if i was the conduit or i would set up the link the relationship between the victim survivor and the person at the inquiry um so I was able to solve some of the issues that went on for some victim survivors, but not everybody. And I know that not everyone was happy, but I also know that there were thousands and thousands of victim survivors who came forward that were so happy with their experience. And I'm proud and pleased that we was able to provide that. And I'm just gonna pick up on that word happy because I know I've been asked this before yeah how can you say happy in this context mm -hmm. but actually you know it it is a happy feeling when you have that opportunity to speak the truth because it doesn't matter how long ago it happened it plays around and around and around and to know that somebody has put so much input in and is ready to listen to your experience means so much I think when you've been disbelieved as a child, an adolescent, young person, a young adult, to actually be heard by someone in a position of power, and that is what this inquiry was. It was an institution that had power to compel people 
to answer to what had gone wrong, um, it gave so many victim survivors their voice heard for the first time. I mean, what was the truth session like for you when you went through it? Well, this this is what's ironic. And, and again, I'm smiling because there's good and bad with it. You know, for me, it was the opportunity to take part in something where it wasn't just about me. It was about other people because sometimes I have had my voice heard occasionally through, um, I was going to say interrogation, that sounds really hard, but through statements. Um, uh, and that's through the NSPCC, that was also through the police. Um, and it's a very different experience, whereas this was part of a bigger picture, not just me. So I felt I could share with some, with safety in a way, knowing that I'd be heard, but be anonymous. I didn't choose to be anonymous. I did choose for my name to be put forward. But for me going, and I'd even forgotten that I actually went with a friend. And before I walked in, I suddenly became nervous, but my friend gave me the biggest hug ever. And as I got to the door, what was so lovely, there was someone from the Truth Project at the door. Yeah. I didn't have to do that dreaded push that door open. They were there with a smile. Um, something like, how can I help you? I said who I was, and she knew who I was. Exactly, because they were told, they were trained to do that. Yeah. yeah. Straight away, take a deep breath. Then as we were going upstairs to the different room, is there anything I can get you? You know, just normal, everyday. Her tone was lovely. I felt welcome. And, and it was, you know, here's the ladies. Is there anything I can get you? What can I get you to drink? And then when I went into the actual room, the people that actually taking part, again, asked questions. Yeah. Um, they also asked if they want that lady to stay in. I said, no, it's fine. Um, that was my choice. Sometimes we know, I was saying this earlier, we know how to be strong, but we don't know how to accept assistance sometimes because that's vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. Um, relaying it was, I'm going to say, once it started, it was quite easy in a way. It was like something had been opened up mm. and I knew I could release. I, and I even released things I'd never spoken to about my counsellor, my counsellor as well. And that involved another person. Um, so it wasn't just my dad, which surprised me. Also, as we know, I was in the care system. And so they asked questions as well to clarify different points with regards to the institution that I was in. Um, but in a different way, they're not investigating you know, emotionlessly. And this is where we want to do a comparison. And that's nothing against the judicial system. It's understanding what the difference is. Or was. Or was, yes. So with the Truth Project, nobody put words into your mouth at all, but they did ask clarifying questions in a way that were useful. And, and even there was one incident and I can't even remember the question now because obviously it's back there but I could I read her body language and her voice was like and you're in the children's home and they allowed you to go home so yes I had all those adults around me to keep me safe and they still didn't keep me safe yeah and yeah. it's only then when you hear you know another person's reaction it's like oh that's not normal yeah so when I came out and my friend was there, it was huge. Big release of tears, 
grief, anger, all the different emotions, happiness, relief. Um, and then following that, for me, there was a follow-up with the police. And that was a different scenario. And we'll go into that in a minute. So what about yourself, Chris? Going through, not just as a member, because you've been as a member, but going through as a survivor yourself. I was there more for my sister, really, because I wanted her to have the opportunity to really share um, what she'd gone through um, and be her support on the day. I, and we sort of shared together, but I sort of handed it over to her um, because I felt it was important. I've been part of so many focus groups. I've had my voice heard in so many different ways that I just felt that it was more important that I was there for her. But I was also there <laughs> judging <laughs> how the whole session was going, you know, because I wanted to desperately feed back to the other VSEP members exactly what it was like going through it. So I had like a jaw hat on. Um, but hearing what my sister had actually gone through in detail for the first time broke my heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I'm going to say on that, really. Um, but she felt in charge of the whole session. She felt afterwards a deep sense of relief that she was able just mm -hmm. to speak her truth, you know. And from that truth session, that led on to our criminal justice case um, that we spent five years going through the criminal justice system. And completely different experience should I go into that now yes and and one of the things we want to say as well before we go into it is there's a reason why it's very different as well yeah because we it, want to be fair don't we absolutely and we also want people to have the right information so that they can make informed choices and this is what's always important so as part of the inquiry it is important that all facts are stated, but it's not a criminal um, in investigation. When it comes to a criminal investigation, you're looking for proof, actual proper evidence, tangible evidence. So they want to know dates, times, days, places, names, everything and anything. They want as much factual stuff as they can because they need to check it out for prosecution, for prosecution purposes. prosecution purposes yeah so if um in the truth session for example you shared someone's name you shared how you was being abused um none of that was ever going to be checked out your truth was your truth in the truth project session you shared what you wanted you didn't share what you wanted but when it comes to a criminal investigation they have to have the detail they have to check it out and if there's witnesses and corroboration your case is stronger to put before the cps and then the cps will say whether it will go to court or whether no further action gets taken um so as bev said the truth session was nothing to do with criminal justice it was to do with you sharing your lived experience and feeling like you've been heard not judged and hopefully believed yeah and believed but hopefully that that could be the start of victim survivors moving on in some small way mm. 
Whereas most victim and survivors, they won't even go into the criminal justice system. Um, one, because they haven't got that corroborating evidence. Two, the um, perpetrator might have died. So there's nothing else you can do anyway, but they still were able to share their lived experiences through the Truth Project yes. and they could still name and get rid of what they're holding on to. They could hand it over to someone. Whereas the criminal justice system, as soon as you go, oh, my perpetrator was Mr. X and he died two years ago, there's nowhere to go. No. So you're still left with all of that. Ooh. Yeah. Also, it's, it's amazing how we often have our experiences and because we live them, we accepted them and just move forward. That's the strength that survivors, victim survivors have. It happened, you deal with it, you move forward. Even if it's happening regularly, it becomes your normal. It becomes your norm. And I remember sharing, and I shared about an incident. And when I said, "Oh, it was only just once," about something, another person, she went just the once. And and then I heard myself. Yeah, I realised what I'd said. As in, I try to minimise it. Yeah, we do that, don't we? Hmm. And anyone listening. Um, don't minimalize what you've been through yeah because it's only when you know or when you write it down and you read the language that you use wow and then when the police did follow up that other incident was brought up and I went to say oh it's and I thought no actually how would I like it if I knew that it happened to another child of that yeah. age yeah that's when you know it really brings it home and we've said before, haven't we, victim and survivors, we often always hear of someone else's lived experience that was seemed so much worse than what we've been through. And it almost, almost makes you feel grateful that you only went through what you went through because this other person's gone through so much. Um, but we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be minimizing what we've been through. Someone definitely may have gone through much worse but the impact on them is going to be whatever it is on them and the impact of what we've been through you've been through is going to be the impact on you we shouldn't be comparing judging minimizing it is what it is it should never have happened there is yeah and there is an impact and that has to be dealt with because otherwise we're living with all of that negative stuff like the blame, the shame, the guilt, whatever it is. Yes, absolutely. So let, going back to the criminal justice. justice system, you still, when you go to make statements, have different rights. And I want to get this point over clearly yeah. because this is undervalued and not actually, um, people don't realise they have a choice. When you go to the criminal, go to the police station and you want to report about sexual abuse, sexual violence, or any abusive act, actually, you still have a choice over some things. You can make requests. I made a request. I wanted to make my statement in a room where there was natural light. And unfortunately, because it was a video statement, I didn't have that choice. But it was explained to me, and I, I accepted that. But you can still ask for a woman officer or a man or you know, whatever is right for you, you can ask for. And I want to reiterate that because I know of a young girl that asked for that and she was told there's no one available. 
well then you're able to say okay i'll come back yeah yeah i will come back or i will wait here until you can find someone else you're not putting anyone else out you are making sure that you are in the best place to give the best evidence to make your statement um our experience of going through the criminal justice system now you all know i'm married to a police officer that's never been a secret everyone's known that from day one um so i do think most police officers do a damn good job and they have your best interests at heart however even myself my siblings going through the criminal justice system we were let down we were fouled so many times and we had in my opinion a poor officer as in poor service with the first officer and with the second officer brilliant couldn't have done any more and was so shocked when we got our first no further action that she even was in tears you know um so the system needs an overhaul and police officers working with victim and survivors do and should be trauma-informed because of all of the little nuances that we've already explained. You know, if there's not a drink or a toilet or tissues available, for example, that can heighten a victim and survivor who's in distress. It can heighten the, the response if these things are not available. But for me as well, and, I, and I'm smiling again. So, and I just want to reiterate that because somebody says, how do you always smile? Yeah. Well, it's important, it's part of our life. Yeah. But I'm going to smile because body language. Yeah. You know, the nuances, if there's somebody in the room who's uncomfortable, boy, can you see it? Yeah. If there's someone that doesn't agree, they may say they agree, but their body language doesn't. So they are, being trauma informed you're very aware of this um and i remember and this wasn't in a police station but i remember a situation years ago that i have spoken about in different times when um i was having counseling yeah and i he he or coaching i should say coaching and it was a man and he wanted me to learn about meditation and i asked him if i'm going to close my eyes please don't move from your seat yeah and I closed my eyes and I started to, to do the meditation and he uncrossed his legs and I jumped. And yeah. I, and he said, how did you hear? That's because. Hypervigilance. Hypervigilance. Yeah. So there are all the nuances that we want to be understood in a trauma informed way of producing a legal statement within the criminal justice system. Yeah. I could say so much more about the criminal justice system, but not in today's podcast. We'll have to revisit no. this. So we just wanted to really sort of like show the difference of our experiences mm -hmm. going through truth and then our experiences going through the criminal justice system. Now, I do understand that police officers are there to investigate. They are not there to hold our hands when we get triggered and we're in that emotional responsive state either of anger or complete distraught bereavement many of them do not know how to handle that but if they're trauma informed they would know how to better respond to that but a lot of forces now are looking into getting ISVAs independent sexual violence advisors or advocates 
so ISVAs. And what happens is when you go and report to the police, um, they should be via the victim's code of practice and the victim's law that still needs to happen to put those victim codes of practice, um, our legal rights into a law, they should be saying, okay, when you come and disclose and proceed through the criminal justice system, we're gonna allocate you an ISVA. So they will take care of and become the conduit between the victim and survivor and the police. So the police do the investigating. Yes. And the ISVA does the caring and the nurturing and the go-between. Which is so important because I know that whilst the police force were, you know, doing their job and they were very good and I know how I look after myself, there were times I received yeah. a phone call from the police. They wanted to go over some evidence. They put the phone down and there I was left. Yeah. Yeah. And wow, it, that has a huge impact. Yeah. And as victim survivors shared with the inquiry, part of the disclosure to police needs to be trauma informed. If they make an appointment with you, they should keep that appointment because you've done, you've been bent over backwards to make sure you're in a safe space, your children are taken care of, your pets are taken care of, you might have had a day off work, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when that appointment doesn't happen because of their caseloads, yeah, yeah you're then like high and dry and wondering what the hell's going on, feeling ignored, feeling silenced, feeling this, that and the other. And it's no one's fault, maybe, that they've had to go and deal with something else because that's what they've mm. been told they have to do because of their caseload. So for, I know, for example, non-recent abuse cases will sit at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. Whereas if a rape happened right here, right now, today, they would have to go and sort that out yeah. over the non-recent. So some non-recent cases get left and left and left because of the cutbacks in the police force, the cutbacks in the criminal justice system. It's on its knees at the moment. Yeah. We know it's on its knees. So until that sorts all itself out, um, but this is why this report's important. Absolutely. Because victim survivors like you and I have come forward and said, this is where it's broken. This is where I got re-triggered, re-traumatised. This is where um, I actually left my case. I stopped my case because I couldn't go on any further with it. So they've got all of this learning. They know all yep. of this. And from my point of view, if I'm really frank and honest, I didn't necessarily want to go through the call mm -hmm. on my own. I didn't want to do that. I made that decision with my dad years before he died. However, I'm also very aware that the other person is of an age that could still be out there yeah but the only information i could give is from a childlike perspective even though i'm an eloquent adult being able to verbalize on behalf of myself now the information i'm reiterating is from a child's point of view and that's something that is very difficult for people to um, understand can you give me an example so for instance i could say i was only seven yeah the first time with but I could only say the name of that person from a child's point of view. So when they were asking for surnames, when they're asking for height, you didn't know. when they're asking for actual age, yeah. I can't can't give any of that no, detail. No, I was older. Yeah. I can now, from an adult perspective, and that was in my evidence about what I felt looking back as an adult, but from a child's perspective, which is where I'm giving that evidence, I can't give all of that. 
I can also, I didn't know his address, but I could describe the building. Now, for me, there was no further action and I was not surprised. Mm -hmm. However, the one thing I am um, pleased to know is that is sitting there. Yeah. And if anybody else comes forward, you know, or other people, you never know. That's how it gets pulled together. And that's where sometimes that's where a case comes through. And we, yeah. we know that. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you don't want it to go any further because that's your choice or you haven't got enough evidence for criminal justice purposes, um, the fact that you've reported it, as Bev said, if someone else comes along and also reports it independently of you, then it builds a picture around that named person. And then the more that evidence comes together, then they can maybe in the future do an investigation. But what I also wanted to say is, if you didn't come forward, and then you subsequently found out that your abuser had gone on to abuse other people, please do not think that it's your fault that you should have gone and reported, because if you had, you could have saved one child, two child, three child. It's not about that. This is about doing what's right for you, yeah? And if you didn't want to report, that's your choice. And also, let's let's be factual here, and we have to be mindful of the time. Yeah. I mean, I know from my personal perspective, and we share personally, as we always say, is I never considered other people were being abused. Because you thought it stopped with you. I really did. Yeah. And then to find out, you know, I only found out eight years ago about other people yeah. that involved my dad. And it's like, wow. Yeah. And I took that responsibility on for a while. Yeah. Please don't do no. that. No. No. So we just wanted to share the side of the X report because it is important. It's important for people who are involved, but also for people who didn't get the opportunity to share their story to also understand about this report and the involvement in it. So this is part two. As we said, we will be doing other editions where we'll be going further into the report. And I'm going to be honest here. This is where Chris is going to help me <laughs> to understand some of the language and yeah. meaning because I get lost in it. What? Um if you're listening to this, obviously the Truth Project closed in 2021. Um, and you might not want to go to the criminal justice system, uh, but you still want your voice heard. There are lots of organisations like the Survivors Trust, like NAPAC, like Rape Crisis, where you can go and share what's happened to you. So that will be similar, not the same, but it will be similar like the truth project okay so do have a think about what you would like to do what is right for you in being able to share with someone or maybe you want to write it down maybe you want to do some artwork whatever it is you need to do some people write books yeah some people write blogs Okay, whatever it is you need to do, have a good think about it. And if you're finding that you're being impacted by the trauma and you need to verbalize it in some way, then think about those organizations that are out there already where you may be able to go and just say, you know what, or ring a hotline, yeah, helpline, 
and just go, right, this has happened for me. Where can I go? What can I do? What are my options? Try that for yourself. Absolutely. And we're also pleased to note that if you are listening to this and this is your first time of listening to any of our podcasts, we also have an email address, which is breaking the cycle to step forward at gmail.com. If this is your first time of listening to us, thank you. Please look after yourself and go back and listen to some of our other podcasts from the beginning to um, get some information and reassurance and you're not alone. For all our other listeners as well, maybe you've not even been through Abused Yourself and if you haven't, we really value the fact that you're taking time to listen to this, understand this and be aware for somebody else who may open up to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, guys, we're going to need to call this um, a day on this particular podcast. We hope that you found something helpful today, something that's resonated with you. And we look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. And it's goodbye for me too. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Take care.